right, welcome to another episode of Late to the Party. I'm Ben Schlofelt, your host, and today we have Scott Myers. One might say that top 40 music has been the theme of the party, but not for Scott Myers. Let's find out why tonight. All right, Scott, tell us a little about yourself. Who are you? Why are you here? And uh, this might be an opportune moment to uh, put some, if you're plugging anything, I like the idea of people do plugs. It's a thing that people do, so... Feel free to plug. Hey, my name is Scott. Um, I am a I'm a guy that uh, I live in Chicago. Um, I could be described as a musician. I make music with with uh, my friends. Um, it's in terms of like plugging something. Uh, we're in a new band. It's called Brass Calf. We're all very excited about oh, about calf. that. I thought I heard cat. No, Brass Calf, um, like a, a an infant cow. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time sort of like thinking and listening to music. I'm no um, actual academic by any means um, or like professional musician, but I do spend a lot of my time, my personal life engaging with music as much as possible. Hey, have you gotten paid to play music? Before, but that's not, uh, you know, I sort of think of it as like a sustainable lifestyle. Ah, yeah. So you have a de- different definition of yeah, what professional I must, I must. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something I've thought about heavily and engaged with heavily for, you know, the... Most of my life. There's a cat in here. Yeah, there's a cat. Everyone knows. Yep. She'll be here the whole time. Well, maybe. Okay. Great. Thank you, Scott. And anything you'd, Are there any upcoming shows, improv, things you'd like to let people know about? You know, nothing. We don't have uh, the music the music stuff. We don't have anything gigged right, or booked right now in, ter- in terms of uh, gigs. Sorry. But um, Facebook.com slash Brass Calf. There you go. Um, and then we also have an Instagram at Brass Calf that has... Uh, no activity so far. All that that <laughs> Instagram is doing is following my personal Instagram, which also has no almost no activity. So as you guys can see, I'm very uh, good at social media. Yeah, I'm terrible at it too. Um, actually, I've never even plugged that. Oh, whatever. Uh, I plan on having a website for all this stuff. You buying should a, plug that. <laughs> buying a domain. Yeah, this will all be on a website eventually. Um, so today we're talking about top 40 history. Um, well, top 40 music. So right. popular, Popular mainstream. music. People that music, uh, music that people like mm-hmm. in America, uh, generally speaking. So, yep. uh, just to give some context and uh, maybe inform the conversation, and even Scott, uh, this I found some of the stuff uh, to be informative. A lot of things I didn't know. So here we go. According to legend or producer Robert Fatherly, Fatherly, his name's Fatherly, the platform of Top Forty or Contemporary Hit Radio was created in Omaha, Nebraska, by Todd Stores. Todd, who would look at which tracks had the most repeat plays on jukeboxes, and he'd play those on the radio. Todd had noticed on his stations that listening audiences would would lessen a decrease when news or talk radio was being aired, and there was a huge increase when pre-recorded music was played. So by the fall of 1953, most of his radio stations would feature local announcers, or I'm I'm, I'm imagining the prototypical DJ, uh, jingles, and pop music exclusively. Once this became commercially successful, he and his father would use this platform on the radio stations they owned throughout the country. So, like, also in, I think it was in 1954, a very predominant, uh, very popular uh, station in New Orleans was playing only Top 40. Well, it wasn't called Top 40 at the time, but, like, popular music. Songs that would be jukebox favorites. Additionally, the inception of Top 40 ran parallel with the decreasing popularity of 10-inch 78 rpm records to the 45 rpm seven inch singles by 1958 10 inches were no longer being sold at all 
So the top 40 also became a reflection of the most popular 45s or singles sold and aired. Nationally syndicated shows like American Top 40 would take that data from publications like Billboard's Top 100, but due to time constraints on their radio format, they could only play the Top 40. So Billboard would release the Top 100 most selling singles, but because airtime was what it was, they could only fit the Top 40 in. And thus the name and its entrance mm. into the common vernacular. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's you, new. You did, oh, you didn't know that. Did not. Yeah. That's so, new information. Yeah, just, it all has to do with how much airtime was available for playing the the selection of the top 100 they could do. Um, so this is my little segue into the top 40, started by Casey Kasem, Don Bustany, Ron Jacobs, and Tom Rounds. Of course, uh, Casey Kasem was the host and the, the, the frontman of this program, so you've probably heard Casey Kasem's voice before. I, sh- I should have played a cl- I may I can insert a clip right here. Yeah, you can de- Wait, and sh- here. here. This is Casey Kasem in Hollywood. And in the next three hours, we'll count down the 40 most popular hits in the United States this week. Hot off the record charts of Billboard magazine for the week ending July the 11th, 1970. Okay, that's yeah, where we'll in and insert. out. We got a little silence. Yeah. Uh, where we'll insert that. Um, but yeah, he's, you, you, I think I first heard his voice when I watched Ghostbusters. And there's that scene in Ghostbusters where uh, they're like, talking about this new phenomenon that's sweep it's during that there's that montage where they're the ghostbusters are starting to become successful at ghostbusting and we hear this this voice on the radio sigourney weaver's listening to the radio kind of shaking her head and smiling like i can't believe these guys are a thing now um but we hear casey Kasem. uh that's the first time i ever heard his voice but uh huge voice in american radio um so they took the format of pop music and honed it into a nationally syndicated show that began on July 3rd, 1970, and ran consistently. Uh, sin- it's ran consistently since then. Ryan Seacrest being the cur- current host of American Top 40. So the difference between what Casey Kasem did and uh, what like Todd Storrs and those original DJs were doing, he would he would still have a Top 40 format, um, but he would add little anecdotal like. Uh, when recording this song, perhaps Michael Jackson used this instrument in the background, and he would do those little, those little, cute uh, additions that made it endearing and made it a little more informative for people. Uh, it caught on; it was really big. Uh, so, in addition to that, there's also the Top 40 Mainstream, which was first published in Billboard Top 100 in October 1992. And after 1995 was excu- was exclusive to Airplay, so they no longer published it. It was just they would broadcast it. So it's a very contemporary list. Um, like for example, like so they don't have anything before 1992. The second most popular song in in the history of mainstream 40 is "Smooth" by Santana. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, the number one was uh, the, that uh, Real McCoy song. It was I never even heard of it, but it's the the, the number one most played song on mainstream top 40. Do you know the real McCoy? There's some German... It sounds familiar, yeah. 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 Uh, I had to look it up and I've already forgotten about it. Um, so based on like this mediocre search I conducted, it seems to be sort of a, self, a self-serving self like cycle. Um, so Billboard posts the top 100 sales of a week. America Top 40, Mainstream Top 40, and, and uh, Hot 100, which is also a pretty uh, popular list. Um, takes those sales and uh, and it also varies by genre. I haven't talked about that yet. There's 
Billboard has like so they have top 100 country, country, yep. rock, yep. Uh, alter- like alternative was, came and, in the 90s, yeah, and that was a big thing. Yep, when alt came in late 80s, early 90s, and uh, the songs were longer. Yeah, and they also didn't know quite what to do with some of the content because there was some songs that were like the song "Me So Horny." Right, was a huge, huge song, and they but they couldn't play it on on air because it was uh, it was scandalous. It was, What's there? Wasn't the there a big uh, butthole surfers one? And they, sure, they didn't know what to do with the title of the band or something. Oh like yeah, that exactly. I mean, when they so, put it on, and so like a lot of times when things like that happen, they'd reference it. They may talk like they may discuss the song, but they wouldn't play it uh, because it's, you know it's a it's a family thing or it's it's you know it's pop music. It's not supposed to be pushing the envelope, even though. For a while there, it did, um, but yeah. So they would release, they would release these lists, and then all these broadcast groups, the you know American Top Forty, Hot One Hundred, would uh, then take those songs, take those, that list, play songs, and then Billboard would in turn show a list of the top played songs, which would just kind of fuel a, a constant selling. And like as if Billboard made news and then reported on news that they had made, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but of course, there was there's some variance because some radio stations would play only R&B. Like, you know, so like they're going to play the top 40 R&B songs and and Billboard will still take that. So you, you'll, you'll have some discrepancy between lists, but more or less, it's all what it reflects what sells well. And yeah, so that's that's basically up to where we are, more or less. You know, what top forty music is, how it began. Um, there's of course a you you could do a whole Wikipedia nosedive into this kind of information if you you know, wanted to. Um, a lot of these characters are all pretty interesting people, but um, so that's about it. So first thing, what what kept you away from from top forty? For so long, and did you know any of this information, Scott? Like, is this all—is this what you think top forty music is, or do you have a different idea of what top forty music is? Yeah, uh, two pretty distinct questions there. I'm sorry. So, uh, answer. I think the, the <laughs> second question. I know. I, yeah. I do that. I like to ask like five questions at once. Answer the second question first. Yeah. So the second question is: Was that my idea of what? Yeah. Top 40 is, music is that because this is historically yeah. and sort of on paper this is what top 40 music is yeah when and i that's absolutely i don't i didn't know like some of the minutiae and all that that you just gave me beforehand but i knew that the general gist of top 40 music is just basically a way to measure the music that was the most commercially successful the music that was basically making the most money and was what people wanted to listen to and i guess originally when i had talked to you um, about this podcast, when I use a, a term like top 40, I think an interesting distinction I made, I was making that maybe I didn't make clear to you at the time is, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that is music that is somehow made specifically to be in the top 40, right? Like this sure, sort of constructed like, music, yeah, this sort of like factory type sort of like idea, the boy, the boy bands of the late nineties or yeah. thousands. Yeah. The, so, so like you take, you can take a band like. I don't know the Beatles, right? Which consistently cracked the top forty, and to a certain extent, yes. Especially early days, of the Beatles they were just trying to write pop songs, but and they were constructed. If you you know, Brian Epstein made a, a, a pointed effort of making yeah. these guys look a certain way yeah. that they weren't even keen about for a while. I don't even know if they actually half of them ever even liked how they looked. 
but he he polished because they're wearing leather jackets and rolled up you know cuffed jeans and yes. and they're greasers they look like british greasers and then all of a sudden they're wearing suits yeah, and, and the the beetle boots that yeah. they made famous yeah so they had they had sort of like a curated um look to them but that to me feels like very different from these sort of like the other bands in the 60s that are these sort of like hardcore anr like um creations right that were put together sort of completely inorganically to specifically to brand and make hits and there are i mean there's a, like the monkeys are a good example sure of that. i was gonna ask him um, but and like the the music written by the monkeys um which they the music they, written they, for the monkeys yeah, I, say, like, I don't know if they wrote their own songs. was specifically f- like they're they were trying to make hits, right? Yeah. That that their ultimate goal was to make very, very commercially viable and successful music, and that's that's sort of the music I'm talking about is music sure. that is intentionally made to be commercially viable. And the Beatles, there's certainly like an act like the Beatles or other acts similar to the Beatles, sort of going on, um, like Led Zeppelin or sort of like all these other bands. There's sort of like definitely an aspect of that, and I'm sure that their record label, you know, pushes we all know this pushes bands in certain directions, but there is a difference between that in my opinion. And then a, a piece of music that is conceived of from the start, like nothing except for like, I need this is so that we can make it. There's a blueprint and there, there, uh, there's a formula that there, but do you, I'm just, do you think, um, so we're very aware of, especially with things like with bands like the monkeys and, Um, and anything that Simon Cowell is a part of, right. that these these bands are are uh, put together with with a lot of intention. Um, but do you think that's that's a public? The, the people know that because I, I don't necessarily think that that we. I mean, I knew I knew about the monkeys being a sort of fabrication because of shows like The Simpsons lampooning. Yeah, that like that. that oh yeah, they're you know, they didn't write their own songs. That's not even Michael Nesbitt's real hat, you know. Right. Um, but I don't know if that's common knowledge. I would say it's like I would make the parallel to maybe like professional wrestling or something like that. Like maybe there's people that sort of uh, remain agnostic or like purpose purposefully unknowing to sort of like the minutia and promotion of what goes behind professional wrestling to maintain their fandom. Sure. And that's probably a similar experience to many music fans. So like, I'm sure most people when they consume culture or they consume, um, sort of art that was made by, you know, for the purposes of profit by corporations, they do, I think intuitively get some sort of sense of, like that it's inauthentic. Sure. But I don't know if that's like an expressed thought that a lot of people have or like that's something that people even care about at all mm-hmm. you know what i mean they just like that it sounds good or that it's fun to watch which is totally great you know so yeah so you're, you're it sounds like your your uh distaste for it, your your opposition to it is is that it's not it's not art but it's posing as art is yeah it, i mean right? i think no i think it's art i'm just saying, okay yeah i absolutely think that anything I mean, maybe this is what my what I'm late to the party to. I absolutely think it think it's art, especially with regards to music. Like, um, I think the interesting thing about music compared to maybe other art forms is that it's such a sort of like present in the moment experience. And if you wanted to get super like uh, maybe a little pretentious, you could call it a phenomenological experience. You know, you could. Um, 
I think you just did. Yeah, yeah, and and I did, and you, and that is something that's very specific to music, where you sort of, when it's effective, uh, you really lose yourself in it, and you really like are hooked onto a rhythm or a melody or something like that. In this way, where your editing brain or your um, critical brain is completely shut off, and if that has occurred to you, uh, like if if that is happening to you while you're listening to. Uh, a piece of music that it, it has accomplished its goal, right? Regardless of whether or not it was made to be a hit or if it was made, you know, by some person trying to dig to their absolute deepest depths to try to express something. So so then is, would your problem be the sort of exploitive nature of, of like the, that, that, so there's a form, like, so these, these people who write, who craft these bands, yeah. um, take these handsome, people beautiful people whatever yep. and uh auto tune them or whatever so they sound okay write their songs tell them how to sing it um is is what bugs you that that then as a human you are sort of uh i don't know duped that that like oh man they they know that i like this that i can't control my emotional reaction to this yeah. like, that that there is the, the this what was the phenomenological yeah phenomenological experience um, to it and they, they and, that, and that they know that they know that and they can calculate that and they can put the hook the key change uh the the, the change the chord or, or sing about love over and over again the sort of the same things but we keep buying it we keep reacting the same way um is it i'm sorry i'm just trying to get to the root of, yeah yeah of i what, mean here's what i think is interesting and what made me sort of like a latent uh or late appreciator of this type of music is you can sort of break this this type of music down to its nuts and bolts very very simply like um if you want to just talk in explicit musical terms most of it is like in four four time around the same tempo Mm -hmm. and most of it uses the same general like chord progressions right there's all these sort of like famous like there's a, a notable videos on the internet of people writing are like singing the same different songs over the same four chords sure, over sure, and over sure, yeah. again. And I think it is, that is not getting to the root of what this music is. And it fails to draw distinctions between someone that is much less skilled that can write a four chord song in, in four, four time and um, have it sort of like take the shape of this type of music. Right. But not actually be something that would be a hit. Mm-hmm. So the thing that caused me to sort of like come around to this type of stuff is that there is, is to is the ability to draw distinctions from the you know sort of stuff that sounds very similar to this like top forty very very high caliber music and the stuff that actually is that right um, the, and there's a significant there's a big sort of like delta between the two in terms of ability that it took to make even though the nuts and bolts of it are extremely similar. So you're not you're not just talking about like. I don't know production value. You're not you're just talking yeah. like like is it because it's not something as simple as well if we add uh, some strings here or we or we toss a bunch of money at this song it's going to turn it from a mediocre song into a a pop sensation. Yeah. So you're not talking about you're talking about there's something sort of um, uh, an, an otherness like what Absolutely. what is this there's something that is maybe timely. Uh, profound that, that or that maybe what was it is it the guy okay, always get these two joie de vivre yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh that that is in the song that makes it so attractive that we can't maybe as easily say like 
that's what it is about that song that gets me. Yeah. Um, do you, just out of curiosity, just maybe put some of this into some 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 content. Excuse me, context. Do you have a like? Do you have a song that's maybe popular right now or with the last five years yep. that that you would have hated ten years ago? Yep. But now, um, since since this sort of revelation or or, or acceptance, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, you're like I kind of like uh, what's his name Shireen. What's his what? Ed Shireen. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, like, I don't that. like him. I don't. I, <laughs> I don't think there's all all the things I just said about drawing distinctions. I think his music. There's some music like this that's it's mysterious to me why it's popular, whereas other music like this, it's clear to me why it's yeah, popular. I, I you think, know, I think not to get not to bash on him for no reason, yeah. but I think it's some of the most lyrically uninspired music i've heard yeah. and, it, and it feels it feels almost offensively uninspired right <laughs> like, yeah it's just very and, and i don't know like a lot of artists on top 40 now they sort of have all these really interesting sounds going on and they're collaborating with people sort of like a little bit off the radar like there's a lot of collaborations like skrillex and stuff like that i'm not a big skrillex fan but he has an ear for weird sounds and he's sure. very talented or like when when kanye was working with justin vernon or something exactly. like that bring, bringing people who are slightly on the fringe uh into maybe a more mainstream light um, yeah um but sorry what, what song were you thinking yeah there's or, a couple of different examples i can give and um one one is uh i was c- kind of thinking about songs before i came here one is uh Katy perry's roar sure um which i think hopefully most of us listening to this are familiar with yeah i think i think most people oh, have heard oh. it and I think a lot, an interesting thing about, and why I think it's a well-written song is um, it, so just like the nuts and girls, the, the music theory of it is so like the main movement in in uh, sort of like normal, what we call Western harmony, which is sort of a, uh, a con- contentious thing to say in some circles, but we'll call it Western harmony for the purposes of well, this conversation. Anybody, no one can argue with you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that, the Wait, move the, actually sorry real quick yeah just because you're using this term yeah do you want to explain really quick what you maybe mean by western harmony yeah so there's sorry. just basically what i mean by western harmony is the harmony that you and the rules for music and how music is understood in most music schools in the united states and europe that's what i'm saying is that's basically outside of jazz schools but like when you go and get your degree in violin performance or piano performance sure. or vocal performance like my degrees and this is the type this is what you learn and it's descript- it is good at trying to understand what's going on in this lineage of composers that have sort of brought us up to current day. It's not very good at analyzing music from you know the entire world in a lot of ways, sure. but it's pretty good at analyzing uh, compo- like composers that have lived in the in Europe primarily in the United States. Oh, so, all right, but it, it it is there's some things about it that are sort of like definitely like uh, really really good at describing pop music too. And something like Katy Perry's Roar. So like um, the main movement in Western music and Western harmony is from, it's called going from the tonic to the dominant chord. Sure. So basically the reason why that is or why it's speculated that it is, is that in um, if you sound a particular tone, you're not just hearing that tone. You're hearing many, many overtones uh, on top of that, but you the main one that you hear is, is like the fundamental. So if you play a C, you're hearing octave above that and it keeps going up and up. And the next tone you hear in that overtone series is what it's called that isn't... Speaking of um, tones, yeah. that'll be some of the radiator. I just turned it off. That's so all right. We're going to hear that whistle. Yeah. 
But it should go off in a second. It should go off. Sorry, keep going. But for C, if you the next tone that you would hear in that series of overtone is is uh, an E, right? Is, no, it actually no. be G. G. Um, okay. Which is Damn. the if you were to say it in the music theory terms that we developed, that is C is the one and G would be the five. Yeah, and because E so, would be the third. Yeah, and E would be the third. So, <laughs> yeah. like, I'll play. There's a piano right here, so I'll play it. So you've got this is a C major chord, and then. It's a G major chord, and you can hear very clearly that this wants to go back to this. Yeah. Right? And so sure. pretty much the, the analysis of most uh, music theorists is that all what we're doing in pretty much all music is we're going from here, we're taking a journey, you know, do whatever we want until yep. we eventually get here, and then we go back home, right? How satisfying does that sound, though? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's all very familiar, and, and that's what we like, so... The thing I like about Katy Perry's Roar is that it excludes, and this is all, once this is totally out of line of like the sort of phenomenological experience you could have with it. The thing I like about the song from an analytical standpoint is that it never hits the five chord until about three quarters of the way through the song. And it does it at the song's climax. The whole... Um, the whole song is building up essentially to that five chord which is where Katy Perry starts to say the word roar over and mm -hmm. over again and you could say that that resolution and that tension that then ends up ends up resolving back to the one chord is like that is the roar right there Sorry, right it's very cathartic like it's we, very cathartic they, yeah they, they keep uh so so you're appreciating and this is not to like um this is not criticism your appreciation seems to come from well, you you you're able to because of your your schooling um, articulate uh, what is satisfying about the song, um, right? Like I th right, I th right. So like, so do you think that, do you think that knowing that there's something because that makes it a little different, it makes it a little special. It's not as conventional as as uh, some of the other pop songs that that hit top forty. Um, and is it that little that little tweak that that's what like okay. Yeah, All right, I Katie mean, Perry, I can, I can, you you did something a little different while staying within this this box that is pop music or yeah. paradigm, if you will. <laughs> that's that's part of it. I would say um, is using sort of like the the sort of like music theory that I like, and I'm not a music theorist by any chance, but I know a little bit. Using that and applying it and seeing what's interesting and what's different about sure. other songs and what's the same. Like, it's cool to see, like, oh, in a lot of ways, this is very, very similar to a lot of other music on the radio, but there is something weird about it. There is mm -hmm. something that's sort of like strange um, that we don't hear any five chords until this one sort of like very, very big cathartic climax, yeah. which is just, it's a, if you were to analyze that in the context of like classical music or something like that, that would be satisfying and you'd be like, this is well written. Um, the other song I was thinking of, though, you can't apply that sort of analysis to it as easily. And I was thinking of the song "Turn Down for What." And okay, I'm, uh, I'm not immediately familiar with it's, this song. It it is a very very, um, it's a party song in, okay. in the purest sense of it. And the the it's basically has the only lyrics in it are essentially "Turn Down for What." But the thing that makes that song so unique is that it's this it's not the sort of it's not the chords or the changes that they achieved in that. Part of it is the rhythm. They borrow heavily from that uh, trap rhythms that are very, very popular right now. So like those sure. hi hats, those triplet hi hats. Yeah. 
Um, and just the sound that they achieved on that song, it has so few elements. Um, it's the the performer, the rapper, and then you know just some percussion, a little bit of you know ambience from uh, different tonal instruments here and there, and the sound is absolutely massive. So and, what we're gonna do real quick, yeah, we're going to take another brief second where I'm going to insert probably clips of uh, Katy Perry and this track. So right here. Now the the listener knows what songs you're talking about, uh, in case they didn't, because I I know uh, the Katy Perry song. Who who does this this other track that you're talking uh, about? DJ Snake and Lil John. DJ and so DJ this is, Snake and Lil so John. I don't know this song um, because I I really don't listen to top forty music um, and not and not out of it like a well part of part of it is a a, a disdain because uh, I do generally not enjoy what they sing about. Yeah, or or the the style. It always feels so. Um, uh, there's always a sameness to it. Like um, this song sounds just like the song before that. And I don't. I don't want to say like. I don't want to sound like an old coot. Like oh yeah, music sounds all around. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not so much that as it is. I just it I doesn't interest me. Um, I don't find it interesting. But uh, also, I don't. I also don't listen to it a lot. Um, I think, I mean, I don't listen to it a lot on purpose, but I just, because I think about, once again, I think about music a lot. I pay attention to it more in ambient settings. So like when I'm at a restaurant or I'm in a, in a store or something like that, I'm always listening to the music. And so, um, that's, that's why I I sort of like am pretty familiar with, and then I'll hear something and here's my big sort of like, um, epiphany with this sort of stuff was that, 
I used to say like, oh, all this stuff sounds the same. It's all the same. There's other music that I like that's sort of like more authentic or something like that. But to me, it's much more interesting to draw distinctions between this type of music. Like that is that is going to take you much further in the understanding of why people like this like this type of music and why it's the by far the most popular type oh, of music yeah. is to say what is different even if two songs are similarly popular like what what is what is the same about them isn't as interesting as what is like quite different about them sure um so that's what i'm interested in for this stuff so that's like it, it is is it in a way sort of an like anthropological like what like because the way you describe it no there's not again this it sounds like why do people who aren't me enjoy this music is that is that how you approach not at it? all okay. i like this music okay. okay i mean i full on i absolutely like the song turned out for what i absolutely like the song roar um i like the song teenage dream by katie perry i like 24 karat magic by bruno mars i think these are all very good songs and they're very well done like it's not a i'm not removing myself from the equation i just think it's there's another layer of appreciation when you are start you're not just thinking about music in terms of like what what the composer was trying to achieve but also they were other they what they were trying to achieve artistically but you're also thinking about a they were able to achieve something artistically and they were intentionally trying to make a shitload of people like it too so i which i think is very very interesting no like so that, that something can be something can be good and also appealing to uh uh, so yeah, crit- critically successful and also commercially successful is 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 that the the, the opt like if you can do this you've made it right like yeah. um you know Beatles uh, did, did that uh, Michael Jackson um lots of there are not I guess not lots some artists have gotten that briefly in long careers but I think when you talk about Bruno Mars that also reminds me like so we t- we we talk about Bruno Mars just being like. The poor man's Michael Jackson. I don't know if they say the poor man's Michael Jackson, but that's how he's I. He's definitely kinda... influenced by Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Because um, think like I'll hear stuff like that's a that's a good song. I sh- and and I'm sure I I stole this from somebody else, but like I liked it when Michael Jackson did it 20 years ago. You know, like, right? Um, does does do you think that factors into somebody like Bruno Mars? Because because um, I don't think his his music is it, it, treading anything new. And then I say like Katy Perry is. But when I hear a Katy Perry song, I think I think that's so much more timely. That is that reflects, I think, a sound that maybe not so much new, but when we hear that, we'll think, oh yeah, that was two thousand seven, or like not for that time, but like but two thousand twelve. Yeah. Um, whereas when I hear Bruno Bruno Mars, I think, oh, that's that's us remembering how great R and B is, and finding somebody who is the most appealing package and artist to to uh revitalize that um and i sorry i don't know what my point is but it's it because i think that also creeps into a lot of top 40 are the the artists who are like going from a g to a c it's a it's a familiar we're like brought to something that we like oh yeah i like remember that sound yeah or it's about also like introducing a youthful a young audience to a sound that maybe they don't know yet. And I don't know. I don't know know if, you know, if an 18 year old is going to hear a Bruno Mars song and be like, I wonder who his influences are. Yeah. Let me look this up. I've Uh, got, I've got, uh, yeah, I've got a response to that. Um, (laughs) Thank you for uh, the (laughs) announcing. So Katy Perry, definitely very of its time. 
um, in terms of like a, a big when I was first getting really interested in pop music, it was around the time Katy Perry was the biggest, which is probably why I talk about her so much in this context. She, she Rihanna yeah. and Katy Perry are on mainstream top 40. They're the two uh, most played artists. Yeah. Just just for which, for reference, they're huge. Yeah, they're, they're very, very big. They were very big when I was in college. <coughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> Very big when I was in college and when I was studying music, which is when I was sort of starting to really think about this stuff. So um, I do think Katy Perry sounds very much of his time in that it's the sort of synthesis of borrowing these sort of very uh, overt house type sounds and dance music type sounds. Sure. And mixing it with sort of like more bubblegum pop type yeah. sort of ex- like they, that was what, accessible. Yeah, that was what made that stuff so popular is that it is very danceable rhythmic music that has that very strong pulse. But it's also at the same time, it's pretty much just pop music yeah. and it, it in the long lineage of pop music. So but in terms of talking about something like Bruno Mars, I'm going to make a comparison to um, a band that are some music that I know you and I both know quite well. And there's a pretty big uh, charge against Radiohead whenever you talk about the song Idiotech, that it's just Aphex Twin. Yeah, sure. And I don't think that that is accurate. I think that it's obviously heavily influenced by Aphex Twin Mm -hmm. or other stuff that was on Warp at that time. Like, obviously, that's what they were listening to. But it's not that. It's it's that. It's Aphex Twin. It's the ambient sort of, quote unquote, IDM stuff synthesized with what a rock band does and their gestures and what someone like Tom York, which is primarily a songwriter and not um, like a DJ or an ambient musician, right? So there's there's some sort of like new thing out of that and i would say the same thing from bruno mars and uh to for michael jackson and bruno mars like i don't think if you produced and made a michael jackson song in the exact way that they did it in the 80s that it would be a hit today because that's not what people are used to hearing and i okay that's a that's a fair um compare like i i know yes yes that's that's true um uh but I don't, I don't think it's going to say like sway a lot of people of a popular opinion necessarily that, but like, well, I guess maybe I'm the wrong one uh, because, <laughs> because Bruno Mars is huge. Bruno I mean, Mars is huge. And there's something like his newest track finesse is sort of heavily influenced by what I would call what people call the boom bap sound, you know, sort of like the more nineties hip hop sound. Sure. And, but it also has that sort of like funk, uh, you know, the rhythmic quality to it as well and so that it, it sounds like a new thing to me like it's it doesn't sound it's quoting and referential to this music before as all music is the, the, you, um, we're all standing on the shoulders of yeah, giants but it's not it's not a um what would is pastiche the right word like a complete it's not a complete a, pa- rep- a pastiche it was like is like taking parts of something and combining them into an i always i always think of frankenstein's monster as, as the past as yeah like so a, we'll uh, admit that out because i didn't use the word right no 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 uh, I, well wait i don't know how were you trying to use it <laughs> it's uh here's the word i meant to say bruno mars is, is it's not a facsimile of michael jackson there you it's go. clearly not mm-hmm. it's uh very referential and inspired by it, but it's not an exact copy and i think to say it is sort of like diminishes both of the the quality like your perception of both musics like that michael jackson could be so easily replicated and that bruno mars is just 
copying Michael Jackson. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, so so you're you're kind of preaching an open mind that 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 the music itself, reg- like regardless of who's producing it, is going to be different by virtue of it being produced by different. Persons. Not always. I mean, you could attempt to make a straight up facsimile of Michael Jackson. I just don't think that's what Bruno Mars is. You mean, you mean like, like when they remade Psycho, shot for shot? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could do something like that. What you a could, weird, what a weird waste of time. You could cover. I mean, you could you could make some try to make something sound almost exactly like Michael Jackson, or you can be heavily influenced and and acknowledge that as something that is has led you to where you are musically. You know. And so the idea is probably that you like would would approach it like yeah yeah n- no, uh, not it's not a big deal like uh, yeah I listen to Michael Jackson and yeah. I like his music and I'm going to make music that I like which might sound a lot like Michael Jackson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, I also, I think I was talking to you about this some months or years ago, how I kind of, uh, we, well, at least I felt, and I think you were agreeing to an extent that, that a lot of current, maybe uh, not so mainstream music, it just feels like regurgitations of previous genres or, or clearly taking pieces of already existing genres and just kind of slapping them together to make something like an attempt at something new and then yeah. it's kind of thrown in the air and then people shrug like eh? is this new right or is it just our version of something old um and 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 i had i had it took me a long time and i'm still working with on this to accept that that's okay <laughs> that people are just going to make the art that they make and you can like it or not but that doesn't mean it's bad because of because of what maybe you think it's unoriginal but that doesn't make it bad um because art because god art is subject i don't i don't think we need to really get too yeah, far into to what that. to what is art that's we not both, what this is about yeah. th- th- that's another uh a whole another podcast well and i feel like we're both totally on board with um art being sub- a subjective experience and like whatever you like do whatever you want you know what I well, mean? yeah because you're not going to convince somebody who was raised on a certain kind of music that like you, you, I don't know like I've I've tried to talk to country people <laughs> country people people who enjoy country a lot which is it's I think it's a a, a problematic like well at least contemporary uh mainstream country is a problematic subject for me um because I, I think it's just it's just pop music with twang but again that's also a very reductive uh way to approach it because I, I don't listen to a lot of it what I do here I I it's easy to make fun of. It's really, really, really easy to make right. fun of. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily fair for the people who uh, genuinely enjoy it and maybe really do connect with the lyrics or or what with what it reminds them. Maybe it is that that thing that makes like, oh, it reminds me of my dad. And how, how do you criticize like, oh, your love of your father is pretty stupid. Yeah. Well, and I would say like, yeah, I mean just pop music with twang i would push back on that a little bit too you know sure, like sure again like yeah. i'm for the sake of argument that's, that's yeah that's and i would just say once again going back to sort of my original point about all this and then when i'm listening to country music too it's more interesting to draw distinctions between why is this a popular country song and why is this why is this song that I could write in five minutes or a friend of mine could write in five yeah. minutes, right? Be- because we know like the general building blocks of it, not a popular song. Sure. Because if anyone Do you ever think it's because you're not sexy? I don't think so. I think if <laughs> you can go you can be behind the scenes, right? Sure, sure. I'm if sorry. anyone uh, I I like how 
you probably I think you already thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> that was not a joke to you. That was no. like a no. Oh, oh, really? We're getting into this. Yeah, yeah. Um, if anyone could do it, then why don't you do it? You know what I mean? Like that's sure. that's a, an important question about this type of stuff in general, and it it has to come down to there's some sort of skill that isn't you know necessarily measurable, and that it comes down to some sort of legitimate form of creativity or knowledge of how to function within these tropes. Sure. Sure, or or heck, just being like this this because because they tend to they tend to especially I think in pop music because they they become celebrities and any celebrity we we put on the the, the like the chopping block or or, or we we dissect uh, to such a degree that that we probably know them better than we might even know our our siblings. Um, I feel like that that if if they this person fits like the demographic of like they are we were so ready to have this art this type of artist this type of look this type of person be in the spotlight right now and the music they make is is thankfully good or at least catchy enough that they also take i think is like i can't think of any examples of this but i feel like this is part of what what, what might propel somebody to the next echelon is like you're talking like, about celebrity leading uh, like a musical career or something like that. Like they had no, I guess, I, I, guess I'm, or... I guess I'm talking about. I wish I wish I had an example, but because I, f- I, f- I feel that there's a there's a there's a type. No, no, I don't know. Like that that celebrity. I guess what I'm trying to say is that celebrity is as much a part of what because because. To get to a Katy Perry, you can't just you can't you. I feel like you can't just ha- write the best pop songs, and uh, you also have to have this this uh, this persona, this yeah. this uh, pu- a public a public yeah. face that people can gravitate towards to you know, gravitate towards um, latch on to f- find themselves within it. like she she's like me, and that's also why I like her music yeah. or something like that. Because uh, if you're an alienating artist. You write the best music, but but like you're an introvert and you never leave your house. Uh, you won't. You just you just can't. I don't think get to the same level as as Katy Perry or Rihanna or whatever. Um, even if you write the best pop, right? yeah. Or, or you I mean, be, you but be like, there's like, a lot of people. That's why like there is. I don't know if you're familiar with like Max Martin. Max Martin's a pr- should I be? No, I mean like Max Martin is basically he has the most number one hit singles written. Other than uh, Lennon or McCartney, so he, uh, all time he's, he's he's a writer for he's other, a writer for uh, other people, yeah. and he just gets it. Whatever he he knows how to craft a, a track. So and, could you just do you happen to have any? Uh, let me let me pull up. We'll edit this out. I'll, no, no, we don't have. I I'm I'm not keen on editing things. Out. It's it's all good. Like uh um, because uh, we uh, my girlfriend and I we watched uh, this thing on Harry Nilsson not too long ago. It kind of reminds me of that. Or like any, any of these, these, these artists who were probably better known for songwriting or the way they covered other artists, um, but never reached their peak because they were a little too weird or they weren't satisfied with being a pop artist, even though, had they played their cards right, they could have been. But I don't know about the Max. What was his name? Max Martin. So Max he, Martin. he's just a pop songwriter. He's just a pop songwriter. Is this his Wikipedia page? Yeah, this is Wikipedia page. Here's a list of songs, and it's pretty impressive. Like how many of so "Hit Me Baby One More Time" by Britney Spears. 
Bad Blood, Taylor Swift. I'm just reading off random ones here. Sure. Um, Blank Space, Taylor Swift. Blow by Kesha. Um, Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. So that's like sort of a different vibe than everything else yeah, we've talked yeah. about so far. Um, not top, not top forty so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but it's it's more sort of like R and B ish, you know. Um, Dark Horse by Katy Perry. Um, let's see. So okay, well, so how- be, be, long story short, is this guy ghostwrites for a ton of different artists and um, just knows what he's such a technician of it. You know what I mean? Um, which which to me is like extremely fascinating how he can sort of like take in what he thinks the artist will be able to present themselves as and then write a song based around that. So I agree. So, so do you think then, um, cause I, I've, I've known this about pop. Like I know like Elton John, for instance, hasn't written a lot of his songs. Like he, some of his biggest hits weren't written by Elton John. Yeah. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who, who wrote those, but that's, that's something that I think that I know. Um, does, does it bug you then? that well because i feel like well then then what is so is it a collaboration like so with this 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 max 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 martin max martin yeah he he needs Katy perry like a vessel for his music absolutely or, so yeah um and then Katy perry in turn needs max to write yeah. the the music's the, the like the the lyrics and the music for like so what so is and is is this getting back to that that artificial manufactured thing that you're talking about yeah because that's what it feels like because i uh, it's hard uh, sorry it's hard to talk to the talk about the beatles since they're um kind of the prototype of this this um of top 40 i feel like um that they wrote their own songs yeah and i'm not saying that makes them you know makes them better necessarily but um is that to be is is it even worth criticizing anymore is that is that is that a conversation we should be having like oh they're not accomplished because they didn't write this does it does it matter yeah i don't think it matters at all because i we never used to make that going and talking about like um composers versus performers like we never used to criticize you know great violinists or great cellists for not writing their own music yeah you know how I mean? actors don't usually write their own lines I mean, actors don't write their own lines i just you experience music the way you once again going back you experience music in the moment as this sort of like present experience that's when it's when you're actually having a moment with music sure. and when i'm able to achieve that because I like I'm particularly hooked into a piece of music. I'm not concerned about if the performer wrote it or not. I don't think that really matters, you know. And I don't think that makes it. That is sort of, was sort of a revelation to me, and why I sort of appreciated that. It took me a while to appreciate it because it was there is this sort of like baby boomer truism that like people need to be writing their own songs, and those were they the good be, old days. They need to be Bob Dylan. Yeah, exactly. Even they need to be Bob his, Dylan. They need to be. Biggest- original not original but some of his biggest songs were written by other people yeah i think that's just such an antiquated understanding Wait. of music in general oh no that's true never mind i think other, no bob dylan i'm pretty sure r- just wrote all, all his own, own songs stuff. no no i was yeah. thinking other people using bob dylan songs like hendrix using watchtower yeah watcher but we everyone knew that's a cover you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but well, like well, everybody knows that there it is people it, there's definitely an attitude even among aging rock particularly among aging rock musicians um, people that are like pre indie rocks, so a pre nineties rock of like, yeah, back in the good old days, these bands wrote their own tunes, and that that was the time. That was when music was real, and that is obviously a bunch of horseshit, right? Like right. that is just the dumbest thing. Uh, very very dumb. 
um, and that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the it, the the sounds that you're hearing either make you feel or they don't make you feel. So I suppose I suppose because I I definitely uh, I, I have that issue. I think there's something authentic and 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 more more. I, I connect with a piece. I I feel like. And again, this is all ooh, you know, feel like. What does that mean? Um, I connect with a piece of music more when I know that the artist wrote that. At least I think that. But but if I don't know that, I can still connect with it. But when but I feel like I, I do I do have the sense that something is sort of robbed from me when oh you didn't write that like um I, th- cause I don't think like Elton John didn't write Tiny Dancer, but I have this like oh my god like it's such an evocative powerful yeah it's a good song anthemic song like it's a, it's a it's a good tune. And when you find out that the person who sang it didn't write it, it's like, well, then, I don't know. It, 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 does, it, does it carry that same meaning? It, it loses some of, its, some of its aura or something like that is how I kind of feel. Um, and I, I, not to argue, I don't think that you're wrong. It's just that that is hard for me. That, that's kind of part, part of a song's power is feeling that there's an authenticity to, I experienced this, now I'm singing about it. Um, that that maybe maybe that's a distinction that I that I um, I I, I enjoy, like I enjoy it I enjoy that about it. I would give um, I mean neither of us are super uh, up on this but like musical theater I think is an interesting counterpoint to something like that like where you can really believe an actor on like I don't love musical theater by any means I like some of it you can really have an experience be through the conduit of this singer actor. Sure. You know what I mean? And I don't think that that could be, that's any different from um, just a performer or a pop star really buying into and trying to convey the message of a song, you know? And yep. I mean, that's, that's fair. Yeah. I, I I'm, get it because I am personally a singer songwriter. I like that. I think that's cool. Um, I think that's awesome that people compose and perform their music and I love it when people do everything they, you know, from writing to producing great. That's, that's cool. But once again, it goes back to what's going to make me have an experience with music. And ultimately it does, it's none of that stuff. It's, right. the, it's the music. Yeah. I mean, that, that is yes. Cause I think that like uh, we, we've never heard Andrew Lloyd Webber's, I've never heard him sing, but we've certainly heard his, his yeah, words. Jesus Christ Superstar is fantastic, right? Yeah. Like that is cats, cool stuff. Not so much. Cats is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> same dude. Same yeah, dude. cats is pretty bad. Great, great. Um, uh, so is that what we're ending on? Is no, that no, cats no. is no. bad? <laughs> I mean, that would be as good as any moment. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to make sure. I, I feel like I want to make sure I touch on some of the stuff that that I think would would really. So I have some questions written up, which I don't think we really needed, but um, and we've touched on most of it. So you probably think you're a a better person for having arrived to this party. Um, <laughs> or, I wouldn't or, say so. No, I so mean, you, it's just a like art is so tricky because it really doesn't have any function or purpose whatsoever than to enjoy it, right? So, like feeling better because you know a certain thing about art or feel a certain way about art, like that's just something. It, it's a way I used to feel pretty strongly sometimes, mm-hmm. but. It's just not a way I feel anymore. Like art is culture and culture is great, but it's ultimately doesn't really mean much, you know? <laughs> so that's a, that's a, a pretty pragmatic view of, of art as something that is, yeah, it's, it's fun. 
And I say that as an artist, yeah. right? I say that as someone that engages in art very, almost all the time. Well, because a lot of people yeah. would argue that art is like art is life. Like, what is what is human existence if we have no art? Yeah, I mean, you, sorry, it just sounds it. it I didn't expect that. I would, I would feel like yeah, it's because it's important. I feel like art's important. I think you. I think that art, art is important. important. It's art is important to my own experience, but just sort of looking at a macro level of like what art actually. What's up? Okay, we're recording again. All right. All right. So that was really dumb. My uh, machine is not great. It cut out. Um, and we just spent about 30 minutes trying to fix it. Is this my water? That's your water. Okay. Um, we were actually very worried that we lost everything. Or that we had something, but the audio quality was terrible. So, uh, but it's still cut off. And um, the last thing you heard... And it cut out again. So... We're just going to leave it at that. This was late to the party. Thanks. See you next time. Bye. There was a little Spanish bee. A record star, Tony B. He heard of singers like Beatles, the chipmunks he's seen on TV. Why not a little Spanish bee?